Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. We've all probably heard the saying, perfect is the enemy of good. We fear failure and not being good enough compared to others. My conversation today is with Kareth Foster, author of You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. And she explains why perfectionism is a lost cause and happiness will always win out. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. I'm far from being a perfectionist in many areas of my life, but I am a perfectionist if I'm working on a home decorating project. When I'm decorating a room, this is not an area where I can make a quick decision. I need to see all of my options. I need to see paint colors laying on carpets. In fact, I have multiple rugs in my living room right now with paint samples scattered all over. I tell my husband that this is part of my process. I need to agonize over every decision because I have to live with it for a while. So I want it to be perfect and I want to be happy. The problem is when your perfectionism keeps you in a constant state of stress. It's said that perfectionists are often bright and detail-oriented people, but they have difficulty letting go of projects. They don't seem to be able to delegate and they're not sure when good is good enough. This stress can negatively affect your work, your productivity, and your health. If you can relate to this and would like to become a recovering perfectionist, here are some things to think about. Consider if being a perfectionist is really worth the self-imposed stress. I recently spoke with a candidate who'd been writing their resume for two years. This person has never applied to a job because they wanted their resume to be perfect before they sent it. Think about the opportunities that this person has missed. We've all worked with someone who responds to almost every email immediately, including evenings and weekends. How do they do that? I can't imagine the stress that goes along with constantly monitoring my email. But many people feel pressured to always be on. But you have to ask yourself if that's sustainable. One thing you can begin doing right now is to stop comparing yourself to others because you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Social media makes this very difficult. Things may look perfect in someone's life on Facebook, but you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. We have to realize that nobody's perfect. That's why I like to see the Pinterest fail pictures. And that's where somebody posts a picture of like a perfect minion birthday cake. And then someone else posts a picture of a failed minion birthday cake that ends up being kind of this yellow blob. People don't connect with perfect people. They connect with people who have tried and who are vulnerable enough to post the picture of that failed minion birthday cake. Be sure you're setting realistic goals for yourself and realize that your life and work are all about progress, not perfection. If you set a goal to make $100,000 in the next year and you only make $96,000, will you be disappointed? Probably not. And you should celebrate the fact that you got that close and that's great progress. 
Whose definition of perfect are you working from? Yours or someone else's? Perfection is subjective and doesn't always equal success, particularly in your career. Striving to be perfect is more likely to create unnecessary pressure, and that can lead to discouragement, low self-esteem, and unhappiness. As Kareth's book title says, you can be perfect or you can be happy, and I choose happy. I'm so excited to talk with Kareth Foster, who says perfection is overrated. Kareth is a motivational speaker, a TV and radio personality, an actress, an author, a blogger, and a comedian. She's made a name for herself as a national headliner for being a clean, funny, African-American comedian. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. When we first started to chat, you said that your company focused on inversity yes. and not diversity. Yes. Could you explain that? Absolutely. So I, I think that everyone, not everyone, but most of the people who are focusing their efforts towards diversity, equity, and inclusion, the programming, the conversations, I think their hearts are in the right place and it's very well-meaning. But the reality is, I mean, even if you just look at the word diversity, the, the prefix is is. DIV, divide, division. Yes. And yet we're shocked that we're not further along than we should be after decades and decades of this. And so, you know, I just kind of took a closer look at what was really happening behind the scenes and how was the programming really being delivered. And the reality is when you further divide people into groups, into categories, when you pit them almost against each other, you know, it becomes a very polarizing experience. Um, it becomes one where, you know, you're looking at who is a victim, who's a villain. And if you really, truly are sincere about bringing people together, about being inclusive, then you have to eliminate that factor. That doesn't mean you don't address the issues of, of things like racism and sexism and, and all the phobias and that, that, that exist. But the reality is, you know, we have to come at this from a human being perspective, from a human experience. And that's what inversity is all about. It's, it's still honoring and acknowledging all of the things that we bring to the table, our background, our heritage, our nationality, our, our identity, our, our sexuality, you know, all of the things that make us us, but shifting the focus from what separates and divides us to what do we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly and powerfully, how can we be introspective? Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity so that you can then see it in someone else. I can really relate to your comment about being a victim or a villain because I've heard people talk about trainings where that's what they felt like, that yeah. they were either put into the category of the victim or the villain, and it made people very uncomfortable. It absolutely does. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the perspective of a black woman. I know I may not sound like it on the <laughs> podcast. Um, I joke about that in my act as well. I grew up in a place called Plano, Texas that has the ethnic diversity of Sweden. Uh, <laughs> so did not grow up with a lot of people looking like me. But I, you know, I, I, I often felt caught between two worlds. I was often told I, I wasn't black enough, right, or had to, to justify my blackness. And, and that was kind of the beginning of this journey, quite honestly, of, of people, other people trying to define me by, by you know, who they thought I should be or how they thought I should sound. Um, and I realized, you know, like, why can't I just be Kareth? 
why do I have to be only defined by one part of who I am? Like, and that's, I think, one of the other issues with diversity, quote unquote, diversity trainings is that we're not monoliths. We are multifaceted. You know, we are more than just, you know, the party that we vote with. We are more than just our skin color. We're more than just our gender or our religion. Um, there's so much to us. And, and how unfair and how um, insulting, quite honestly, to pigeonhole people and to say, well, because you do this, this is where you belong, or this is a group you should identify with, or this is who you should gravitate toward. Like, I just, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice by that. So how do you bring people together in the inversity versus dividing them up into their own tribes? Well, one of the things that I found really connects and unites us is humor. And again, while humor is subjective, that's the, its blessing and its curse, um, when we can laugh at ourselves, when we can laugh at the commonalities that we share, there's a universal universality to it. Fred, say that 10 times fast. Yes. Universality to it, um, which, you know, allows us to kind of let the wall come down a little bit. Because when you are talking about topics like, like DE&I and even, you know, mental wellness, and the, like, it's, they're sensitive, right? And, and we have to acknowledge that. But what we also have to acknowledge is we're human and we're fallible. We're not going to always say the perfect thing. We're not going to say it exactly the right way all the time. And if we can be forgiving and have grace, but also seek and find the humor in it that connects us, then we can drop the defenses. We don't have to be on the offense or the defense. We can be in a neutral space to have really healthy, courageous conversations. And we then, of course, find we have more in common than we don't. Absolutely. You mentioned your book. What, yes. What, tell me about your book. So I wrote a book called You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. Now, spoiler alert, uh, there is no such thing as perfection. <laughs> and while happiness is not a constant, it is a choice. And I, the motivation for the book came after I gave birth to my first daughter. And um, we had, she had some quasi-medical issues. What happened was she was very, very tiny when she was born, even though she was 40 weeks. And she lost even more weight. And what we didn't realize is she wasn't latching properly to nurse. So she was getting no nutrition. And the pediatrician was like, oh, babies lose weight when they're first born. It happens. I'm like, she went from four pounds, 10 ounces to three pounds, something. I'm like, this isn't okay. So I took her to the midwife and the midwife um, said, hold on a second. She went into the kitchen of the the, the birthing center, and she brought out some milk that a mother, a mo- another mother had donated. With a little tube, she put it in my daughter's mouth, who was just a few days old. And I, it was like watching a black and white television turn color. Really? And I realized what was happening. I wasn't feeding, like, you know those commercials like, that saying, you got one job, <laughs> right? You got one job, and I was failing miserably, and I beat myself up relentlessly. Um, and I had a very dear friend who came to visit, and she said, look, Gareth, you can be happy or you can be perfect. I choose happy. And, well, of course, the heavens should have opened up, and a chorus of angels should have yes. started singing. It was just like, oh, what a nice thing for my friend to say to try to make me feel better. But it did stick with me for years. It, it, it marinated. And I juxtaposed it. You can be perfect. You can be happy. And I, and I thought about it. Like, how much of my life had I spent trying to be perfect? The perfect daughter, the perfect student, the perfect friend, the perfect girlfriend, the perfect employee, the perfect spouse. And what was that costing me? 
What do you? What advice do you give people who are? They that is just within them. It's just part of their DNA that they feel like they have to be perfect all of the time and on all of the time. Well, I, this book was a giant note to self. Like that's me. <laughs> so I wrote it for all of you who feel that way. I am a recovering perfectionist, and I still, you know, I still falter. I still need to open my own book and read a chapter. But the idea is, look, you know, if you can really come to terms and maybe change your perception, right, of what perfection means. And the first part, again, I think it really does come with understanding that there's no such thing. You know, it's a lie that we've been sold from childhood, most likely. Um, we are sold it regularly from the media. It, we, it's, it's just something that, that's, that's not true. And so to try to live up to something that isn't real you're only going to feel like a failure. But if you can give yourself permission to be human, give yourself permission to, and I don't even call them failures. I, I, I don't even call them mistakes. It's, if you got something out of it, then it was a lesson. You've learned something. Yes. That's right. Yes. Do you find that people who have this tendency towards perfection also have imposter syndrome and they're so afraid that they're going to be found out that they are not perfect and they're not doing everything right? Uh, there's so many reasons for people who are perfectionists. You know, a lot of people do it because they think that that's the only time they're going to be um, valued, that they're, they're going to get positive reinforcement and attention. I mean, you know, I have small children right now, and I am very cognizant of, you know, when they show me a drawing or something, not saying it's perfect, saying that is, um, that's fantastic. You are so creative. You know, something else that I, I learned recently, and I wish I'd started earlier, was instead of saying I'm so proud of you to a child, you say, I hope you're proud of yourself. Oh, that's I hope great. you're proud of yourself. Because think about how much of us are seeking validation from people and things outside of us. Right? And I think that is at the root of perfectionism as well. Right. What else do you talk about in your book? What are some of the other chapters that you talk about? Uh, you, you said happiness is a choice. Sure. Um, well, you know, the book is it's about getting back to the basics, I call it. And that's an acronym for multiple chapters that are in there. Um, you know, one of uh, the, the, the chapters is about being present. You know, being present. Don't live in the future. Don't live in the past. Be right here, right now. Don't worry ahead. You know, so many of us, I know myself, I'm type A personality. Oh, I mean, I used to worry about getting into college when I was 13 years old. Oh, wow. I would lay awake nights. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I had some serious <laughs> issues. Um, but I, you know, and the funny thing is, like, once I got there, and of course I got through it all, it's like, it all works out the way it's supposed to. You know, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves regularly. And, and Why? Why? Why do we do that to ourselves? And and the thing is, we, one of the things is don't compare, right? Stop comparing. I have that's one of the S's. Stop comparing yourself to other people. I mean, yeah, we've heard the whole you're own, you're own, you're so unique. You're only you. But the reality is, you're you're not anybody else, and nobody else can be you. And other people's lives, like we think, it looks like they got it all together. And social media certainly does not help that. That's where I was going you know, with it as well. Yes. My husband and I jokingly call Facebook fake book yeah. and Instagram Insta scam. Because <laughs> all you're seeing are people's, you know, best faces and best lives. And, you know, literally, I mean, there are people who take this gorgeous, you know, the scene on the beach and it looks like they're in the most fabulous place. And literally there's a dumpster fire like six <laughs> feet away, like an actual dumpster fire. <laughs> 
So, you know, you have to be very careful about what you take in and let affect you because so often it'll look like, oh, my life is not even close to being together. And the reality is most people's lives aren't close to being together. That's <laughs> Everybody's right. got something going on. Everybody. Yes, that's exactly right. Talk a little bit more about social media. It, it is such a great point that it people compare themselves so much on social media. I scan through my my fake book, my mm-hmm, Facebook, mm-hmm. and and I see what everyone else is doing. And I'm not really a big poster. I'm right, more right, of a stalker. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't post a lot on on there, but I can really understand, especially teenage girls, how it could give you, just be so much pressure on you. The FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Right. Um, You know, it's fascinating. And I don't think a lot of people know this. My husband, I mean, my my children are seven and nine, about to be 10 and eight. When our children were really little, I I started reading a lot of uh, articles from people in, in the big tech. And I cannot tell you how many of them said that they were not a, allowing their children to have tablets or phones. And they certainly weren't going to allow them on social media. These were the people who were behind the algorithms, who were behind the technology, because they knew, they saw the A, addiction issues that it was causing and the psychological effects that it was having. And I may not be here. I wouldn't. I may not have been here if I was a teenager in this day and age. Like, I don't know if I would have had the mental wherewithal and capacity to have handled the stress, you know, I mean, it's it's so much that we're putting on them, and it seems so unfair, and and it's not real, right? It's not real. It's fake. It's 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 not real. It's you know, and this is what kills me. A company will do something wrong, or they'll have a misstep, or they'll you know say something, and 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 somebody will comment, "Well, I'm never buying your product again," and so they have a big HR meeting, and they bring it, and we're just, right. the person who made that comment has two Twitter followers. They don't even do the, you know what I mean? They don't yes. do the reconnaissance right. to see what's going on. And so it's like, you know, yeah, yeah the, the loudest wheel, the squeakiest wheel gets the oil. But you also have to see, is that really a wheel or is that just like, you know? And, but pe- people don't know that. They, they see something negative about themselves and they take it so personally. Yes. And it's coming from a bot or a troll or somebody who literally just, you know, the, the cloak of invisibility, we call it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have to distance yourself sometimes and you have to... Be strong about it, right. you know? And, you know, I would imagine you are out in the public. You probably have a, a lot of social media accounts and things that are happening. And you get that one person that says something negative, And it's really difficult not to turn it inward and dwell on that instead of the hundreds of positive comments. That has happened. That actually happened at a SHRM conference a couple years ago in Vegas. I was presenting You Can Be Perfect, You Can Be Happy to about 3,000 people. And I received hundreds, hundreds of positive reviews. And like three people were like, eh, I'd heard this before. Eh, I've seen better. Eh," And I'm like... And it ruined my afternoon. Three people out of 3,000. And I caught myself. I'm like, this is one of the lessons in my book. <laughs> I can't do Don't this. Don't worry about stuff you can't control. And those three people, maybe they all had root canals that morning. You know, maybe yes. they were all going through a messy divorce. Maybe, they, you know, who knows? But how, like, I can believe that I was like, and I, once I realized what I was doing, I caught myself. And I'm like, you know what? Those three people are entitled to their opinion. They can think that it was eh, 
But does that change my life? No. It would be really easy to do that at work, too. If you receive some criticism from your boss or one of your coworkers, it would be so easy to dwell on that and not think about all of the good things that you do in the course of a day. And that's very, the criticism is just tough to brush off. Well, and that's one of the chapters is ignore the critics, right? And there are several categories of critics. Sometimes the critics are the haters, Right? Haters going to hate. Yeah. <laughs> like I think the, there's a song about that, yes, right? Yes, there is. There is. Uh, which I will not be singing. <laughs> but they're the people who I find are typically jealous. The ones who are jealous, who are nervous, who are afraid you're going to steal um, their sunshine, their, their light, their limelight. Um, they wish they could be you and do what you do. Uh, then there are the critics who love us. Who are our biggest fans, our our our, our family, our I significant like those others, <laughs> right? And it's not that they're critics out of any kind of malicious intent, but they're critics because they care so much. They don't want to see you hurt, they don't want to see you disappointed. So their fear, they are trying to kind of put on you, right? And so you have to ignore that as well. Um, and then, of course, the worst kind of critic is yourself, and we are our greatest critics. And there's times when we have to say, you know what, I, I heard what you said. It's like the good, the devil and the angel on the shoulder, right? I, I heard what you said. Now it's time to go somewhere because I got work to do. I'm not going to let you rob me of this opportunity. Is there one big takeaway that you would want people to understand or take away from our conversation today? One piece of really good advice for them. One of my favorite pieces of advice, and this has come after taking many risks and many different chapters in my career up to this point, and that is ask why something is happening for you versus why is it happening to you. And I know this is a simple kind of exchange of two little words, two and four, but the Effect the amplification of that change of perspective is life-changing. When you say, why is this happening for me versus why is this happening to me, what you're taking out of it is the victimization and you're bringing in the victory. And I'm not at all implying that anyone asks for horrible things to happen to them, uh, especially things from their past, uh, abusive situations, things that happen as children. But the four... If you can say, why did this happen for me? It it can be because I needed to see how strong I was. Because I needed to have a place of knowing where I came from so that I can appreciate where I am now. Why did this happen for me? So that I could see that, you know, this wasn't where I was supposed to be. This wasn't a healthy relationship. This wasn't the right opportunity. When it's to you, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And you're stuck. When it's for you, you get that power back. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Lori Cole. This two-minute tell-all comes from one of the listeners who says that holiday parties are usually pretty fun, but some can become a little risque. This listener said that this happened several years ago, and their division president and his wife always hosted a lavish holiday party at their home, which included a sit-down dinner. One year after the dinner, the division president, a man, 
gave each woman attending the party a pretty little wrapped gift box and asked everyone to wait and open them together. Imagine the nervous laughs as the women pulled out a pair of sexy undies with a suggestive slogan and the company's name printed on them. Word of this obviously got back to the corporate headquarters. From that year forward, the corporate office sent a catalog so people could choose their own gifts. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.